Nancy. Hi, Meg. Want to talk about coaching? Sure, Meg. Jump in. Welcome to Clarity Call with Meg Kirstead and Nancy Sun. A conversation between coaches about coaching. Join us as we examine all the thoughts and questions we have about coaching and coaching culture in our quest to become better coaches. Spoiler alert, we are two human beings with human brains making this up as we go along. So we invite you to use your being and your brain while you listen in. So how are you doing today, Meg? I'm fabulous. I got my hair done yesterday and it looks pretty amazing. If I do say so myself, I went with the the sunset theme. Obviously, you can't see this in the podcast, but we'll include a picture because my hair is amazing. Yeah. As somebody who is getting the visual reference, I will agree with Meg that her hair looks amazing. So if you're looking for some inspo, definitely look for the link in comments. All right. So today, as we deepen our conversation about how we can be of better service to our coaching clients and level up the coaching industry, uh, Meg and I wanted to talk about one of the, I wanna say foundational or fundamental coaching tools or skills um, that we have available to us. And that is really the concept of facts in coaching. You might also hear this as the circumstances in coaching. So in the event that you need a refresher, I'm happy to provide one for you. So in coaching, one thing that we frequently do with our clients is distinguish their fact from their story or fact from their thought. And Meg, do you want to give the audience what you have as the definition of like a fact, circumstance, et cetera? So I think I'm borrowing this from the Life Coach School, which is sort of where I'm getting certified right now and where much of our bubble resides is sort of in the LCS sphere. It's essentially like something outside of yourself that in a court of law, people would generally agree with. It could be something like a person said particular words. It could be, you know, a person ran from the house to the garage, but it's devoid of value judgment in interpretation, at least theoretically, which is, of course, the theoretically part is what we're discussing today, because as it turns out, it's not quite as obvious and simple as all that. Yeah. And another way I've heard it heard, in addition to something that is known to be true in a court of law, I've always heard it's something that is known to be true, that could be recorded by a court reporter, or could be reported in a newspaper. And again, huge cliffhanger, because now people know that something that is in media or in journalism does not necessarily mean it is fact and devoid of story. Yes, I feel like we're seeing a lot of that with media outlets that have different political affiliations, for example. Things being presented as facts are not necessarily what maybe 50 years ago would have been considered a fact. Say nothing of, um, obviously, all of the online communities that have their own versions of the truth. And I'm, and I'm 
referring to truth with a capital T because that's what it seems to feel like a lot of times for them. It's like, it is the truth. Um, I'm reminded the X-Files. Yeah. <laughs> so Meg and I are giving a mild spoiler. However, we do want to honor that this distinction between facts and thoughts or facts and story or circumstance and story, any combination of those things does actually have value. Because a lot of times what may happen is like what actually happened could have been very benign, right? And however, your brain might make it very dramatic. So I'm just going to give you a common example in the area of coaching, right? Which might be nobody wants to work with me, (laughs) right? As coaches growing your client roster and wanting to serve your people, you might have the story or the thought, nobody wants to work with me. And then we might investigate, hey, where, what evidence do you have? What facts or circumstances are you seeing that is creating the thought, nobody wants to work with me? And what might have happened this past week is you had a clarity call with one person. And on that clarity call, that one person said no. And so the fact could just be one person said no to working with me this week. And the story or the thought you are creating is nobody wants to work with me. And so this is great because it really forces you to evaluate. It does one person represent the 6 billion plus population of the world, (laughs) right? It's like, is this really a representative sample size of what's possible? Is this really, what's true for this person? Is it really necessarily true for everyone? And so in that way, it can support kind of calming down any like fight or flight stress response that your brain might have simply because of the story it created around the fact. So the interesting thing here, like there is nothing wrong with you or your brain when this happens. I'm probably going to butcher the neuroscience a little bit, but essentially at different layers of perception. So, you know, you, you sense things out in the world, either with your eyes, your mouth, your nose, your ears, all that jazz. And at various different times, as you like digest that information, there are filters that your brain applies. Some of it's even at the sensory level. They've done some really interesting psychological experiments to show that like sometimes even we don't perceive things and it doesn't even make it to our brain. Our brains are designed to do this because it saves energy. If we like are thinking about everything and having to make every decision at every point in time about every piece of information that is happening in the world outside of us, we'd be exhausted all the time and we'd never be able to do anything. So these, like the fact that your brain interprets something as a story, it's just applying a shortcut based on stuff it learned before. So it's completely natural. It's completely part of the process of being human, but it doesn't always serve us, which is what coaching is for. (laughs) And I've definitely had the experience with coaches and in coaching my clients that sometimes what might serve them is to add more facts 
that their brain might be omitting from their perception. As we look at more facts, it can start to change the thoughts and story in your brain. And so the distinction between the two can have a lot of value in order for your brain to create different stories that might actually serve you better and be in alignment with what you want versus perhaps like the first attempt it attempted to jump to a conclusion on the mat. Yeah. I mean, essentially what we're talking about is by including new facts, including facts that your brain in some ways is ignoring, you're updating your filters. It's, it's essentially so that in the future, you might see something and have a different filter applied. So you're like, oh, maybe some people want to work with me rather than no people want to work with me. Yeah. is a more useful thought for most of us. Yeah. And like, even in hearing Meg process it, it just reminds me when you start to change your filter, receive more facts or allow more facts to be true as facts, it updates your story. It updates your thought. So this is how we've seen it working. And we know that it is incredibly value within the world of coaching. And we wanted to invite coaching to level up, right? So I think Gretchen Rubin, who is not a coach, says the opposite of a truth is also true, right? So with that, what could the upper limits of this, you know, the value of fact versus thought be? What could be, you know, where could we see different coaching be a better fit and have a different impact? So what we've identified as what the limits of fact versus story to be is one, it kind of pretends that there is no unbuilt bias in the person giving or receiving the facts. Even in the example we gave, right? That person who got one consult that didn't turn into a yes for long-term coaching um, was giving a specific curated experience that didn't include other facts that are equally as true. Yeah, and uh, yes, and this is in some ways where the filter comes in. The filter happens sometimes even before we have a thought. So, so this is why a lot of times we might not even be aware of facts that actually are really important to what we're thinking about. Um, which means just by presenting one fact, that is itself like a subjective thing. You chose that fact to, you know, hone in and coach on, which is okay. As Brooke Castillo says, you know, all roads lead to Rome. Like it's okay if we just pick one, one thing and go with it. But we also have to realize that just by picking one thing, that is itself a like subjective decision. That, and also not all facts are facts. What? (laughs) So what I mean by that, So I give like this very basic example because perhaps other people like me learned this in middle school, right? But when we talk about, for instance, Meg's amazing two-toned hair and it being both purple and orange and gold and like, yes, it's like so many colors. And, And when I say that, I act like that's a fact. 
And Meg would probably agree with me. I might not have all the colors because there's so much variety in her hair, but she would probably also label her hair as purple plus orange plus gold plus pink plus all the other colors. And if I were a scientist, I would say that's not true. I would say actually her hair is every color except purple where it's purple and orange where it's orange and gold where it's gold and pink where it's pink. Because science tells us that what we're seeing is the color that is being reflected by the object, not the color that the object actually is. Another one that that is another version of facts for someone, if you are colorblind in some way, um, there are different types of color blindness. You would not see my hair as these colors because, for example, you are not able to see red and greens and distinguish between them, which means the parts of my hair that are like orangey are going to look a little different. So you might, I don't remember, it's been a while since I've dealt with color blindness, but that part of my hair might not, in fact, be that color to you because you have a different set of perceptions in your eye, like physically. Yeah. And so not only is there a difference in like expert and non-expert opinion, but there is a difference in ability and subjectivity depending on who's giving the fact and who's receiving the fact. Because Meg might be talking to this person who is colorblind and she would quote unquote disagree. And so this is kind of the area that we wanted to talk to. Um, about where the limits of facts were and how to support this subject, like the subjectivity in coaching. Um, So we've already talked about how there might be um, some internalized implicit bias, right? Whether it just be because of your education, because if you're a scientist versus if you're a layperson or just in terms of your level of ability and perception? Uh, One I wanted to really add, because I think it's one of the most important that comes up in coaching is actually language. And this ties to a lot of things like education and stuff. But if you don't have a word to describe something or the language you use to describe something is different, then in some ways you're going to, to represent a fact differently. If, for example, like you look at my hair and you see maybe fuchsia. If you don't have like an artist's palette in front of you and are aware of like the variety of colors, you're just going to be like, that's purple. Um, And that's often the case in terms of describing emotions, but also describing things outside of ourselves. Sometimes we don't even have the language to describe it in the same way to say nothing of if you're speaking literal different languages. Like if I'm speaking English and someone's speaking French, we might be using words in different ways. Yeah. And notice how in talking about Meg's hair, this is such a great example today. It's a really good example. Purple and fuchsia are both correct facts, right? Even though we may be talking about the same strand of hair. So in addition to that, we also wanted to highlight there are other biases that might be playing in fact curation. So we've talked about ableism, but there's also heteropatriarchy. There's also white supremacy. There's also bias in terms of education level. 
I don't know. Do you, can you think of any other <laughs> biases? I'm sure there's so many. I mean, there's so many. Yeah, education, certainly socioeconomic status, whether the kind of things you've been exposed to based on your family, based on your culture, based on your history, language we already mentioned. I think we at least covered it. Like, yeah. I think people are generally familiar with the idea that there are a bunch of different things that affect our brains and how we think yeah. about things. And so... Uh, when we actually apply the subjectivity, right, of the person who gives the facts and the person who receives the facts, how it can sometimes not serve a coaching relationship is it can get people into an agree, disagree, or a right, wrong in the conversation. So if I need coaching around Meg's hair and I describe it as fuchsia and she's my coach and she describes it as purple, right? And we get into the semantics of which fact is true. That is just going to create a breakdown in the coaching relationships. Over here, I might not feel like I can trust her. I might feel disempowered. I might feel like I can't trust myself because, you know, look at this other person who is telling me that the facts that I have and I believe are wrong. And like this ties back to what we said in terms of how we define facts, because if facts were something that could not be disputed in a court of law, or we believe journalism would have as fact, like those are already hegemonic power structures, right? That favor a certain kind of story. Are you saying our justice system isn't perfect? That is my thought, as some would say, or that is my story, as some would say, right? Yeah, I mean, and we have plenty of evidence for its non-perfection. So is that a fact? Is is our justice system, like the fact that we incarcerate people of a certain race at higher rates, is that a fact? I mean, that's a fact, but like, does that mean it's then flawed? Yeah, anyway. Yeah, and like, I'm sure that there is somebody who could come up with counterfacts, right? I'm sure. And so we're talking about it here because we don't know if in this, in like this story, right? If those people actually want to get support from one another. However, in a coaching context, ostensibly one person wants to get support from another. So getting in this right, wrong argument or this agree, disagree, where there's going to be a trust breakdown, um, because of a dispute on what someone would say is a fact versus what someone would say is a story may not actually best serve the client, their agenda and where they wanna go. So the question that comes to mind for me is like, so when do we let the client put their fact, which we might not think is a fact in, in the sort of circumstance fact part of the coaching? When do we let them you know, have their version of the truth. What is that line? I don't, I don't have an answer for it, but I think that's what we're discussing today. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is an answer for it that you might have? Like, what have you practiced before? I think in particular, if we, we start getting into that agree, disagree loop of like the really resistant to thinking anything outside of what the fact that they think is a fact um, and like are really struggling to come up with alternate realities, even when I even if I try to prompt. Then, then I let them put their fact 
and I'm using bunny quotes, but, you know, the line is very arbitrary as we sort of, you know, talked about in, in the model that we're using and see what happens. And the reality is oftentimes it's very fruitful, even if the fact isn't as facty as I, as a coach would want, it still ends up being useful. Yeah. And I just want to point out um, that like, as we're talking, cause I noticed for instance, if, if Meg was my coach and she um, was double quoting facts, right. In the, in a conversation with me as her client versus in the conversation we're having now, then I would probably be like disempowered or she doesn't trust me or, you know, I got the facts wrong and it would stop me from having the transformation I need around whatever I want coaching support on. So, and that is exactly the experience that we want to avoid. And over here, I tend to be just like how, how I do things, which is very much similar with Meg is I don't necessarily have anyone's thought. So this could be a story as necessarily disempowering. Like some people have neutral thoughts, right? Or um, so for instance, if we, let's take something like, um, let's take a fact, right? A fact is, um, let's say, you know, women earn, I think it's 82 cents to the man's dollar, right? That's a fact. And so my story could be, Um, you know, there's a gender wage gap. That's my story. And some people would say that is not a story. You were just drawing it from this fact. That is, that is not neutral. That is, you can't, you can't make it a fact. You know, that's the story you have about this particular statistic. However, over here, you know, trying to deny my belief that there's a gender wage gap may not actually support me in what I wanted support on in this conversation. Like maybe I want to get a promotion, right? And it actually is empowering for me to have a, to believe that my experience is normalized and um, it might light a fire under me to go for my promotion as not only for myself, but for gender equity. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. I think one, another example that comes to mind for me, that's certainly come up in my coaching with people is like racism as a thing. Cause as this is Meg, me as a human, rather than me as a coach, I'm like, yeah, racism is real. We have lots of evidence for it, but there are also other people who wouldn't agree with that or they'd they'd be like well people aren't racist there's just racist behavior you know it's it gets to a lot of very controversial and emotionally charged stuff but in the context of actually coaching oftentimes it is more empowering for the client to be like yeah racism is is real it's a thing that exists out in the world there are racists out in the world so it's empowering for me to be able to fight against that, to be able to react against that and view it as something that I have power to help change rather than deny that it even exists such that I can't do anything about it. Yeah. And this might also tie into what we were talking about with 
collective responsibility versus individual responsibility too. Um, so we already workshopped some places that we can go as coaches in order to still support our clients as opposed to get stuck in this fact versus story conversation. What are, what are some other things? So we came up with two, which I think are really great. Is there any other ways? So we're letting our clients have their facts sometimes and experimenting with seeing how that goes. That's one. Yeah. And basically what we're doing is we're asking them for their thoughts about this particular thought, right? Maybe yeah. there's also one thing that I often find useful is to sort of really turn a person into two people. When I think about even just coaching myself, I, I view myself as a person having a thought and thinking about facts, but then there's the person who is coaching myself that's standing outside watching those facts and thoughts happen. So essentially it's two parts of my brain, but you can almost imagine them as two different people. So maybe getting people to think more in that like second version, the observer, and see how they view essentially the thoughts and facts that they're having and sort of, you know, externalizing it as like this sort of scientist curious persona who's looking at these, maybe just asking them to look at that, their facts from that particular perspective and they might change and they might not. Yeah. Another thing that I also think about is just to like add more people to this people party is I often think about the two people instead of being the observer is like the person who says the fact and the person who hears the fact in your brain. Oh, yeah, that's so good. Now, one thing I will say, and I think this is implicit, but I just want to extrovert it is the reason why we're having this conversation is because in part, we want to take the coach off the pedestal, right? We're not the fact policed here. We're actually here as equals in partnership with the client. And we don't wanna you know, play courtroom, judge, jury, reporter in like selecting the facts and circumstances. Yeah, especially because we're all human too, which means you know we're going to have all of those filters and bias when we are looking at our clients' facts as well. Yeah. You know, we, in then, some ways, like there is no fact police. Yeah. And this actually just reminds me if we want to get like super existential, like part of the reason why I was inspired to have this conversation is if we look in science, if we look at quantum physics, right? A lot of things that we believe to be facts, we discover are not true. <laughs> How we identify where Meg begins and ends and where Nancy begins and ends, like is not true. Yeah, the th what's the fact that, well, fact that blows my mind based on looking at like actual like subatomic particles, like everything is made up of 99.999% empty space. That might, that number might be wrong, but like we are mostly just empty space, which yeah, that's a weird fact to internalize when you feel very solid. Yeah. When we say words like, I feel grounded. Yeah. Like <laughs> actually, you know, I'm empty space and the ground is empty space. Fancy that. Yeah. And it's like, you might feel grounded, but gravity is acting on you just the same way it always has. Right. Um, so that's part of what we were aiming for in this conversation is to support this fact and story 
uh, tool, which is so valuable, prevent it from becoming um, something that might actually get coaches and clients out of partnership, out of equality, out of co-creation in a way that would actually serve your client. So I think we did an okay job. Yeah, what do you think? that was that was pretty good. I kind of I kind of am now like thinking of some of the stuff I do. I'm like, oh, I'm definitely fact policing. Now I will fact police less, especially yeah. because you know reality is constructed by us entirely. So we're all just brains and vats. And I do think that it will challenge you to be a better coach, right? So if you were saying all paths lead to Rome, we, in the event that this tool isn't working, now you have some other ways to try a different tool. Great. Let them have their thought. What are their thoughts about their thought? Do they like those thoughts? Why don't we change those thoughts? So Yeah. I mean, sometimes making up facts and putting them in the model you're working with with clients is just kind of fun. Like it's sometimes the most interesting way, like the idea of like you have 20 paying clients, even if you don't right now, what would you think if that was your fact? So like, there's a lot of interesting things you can do if you get unattached to the factiness of, of what you're doing. That is so funny. Cause now we're in a conversation about believing different facts. That is so cool. So as we always do, we're going to end with a little thing we love. One from me, one from Meg. So this week, what do you love, Meg? I love my water bottle, which is a very, you know, random everyday object. But um, one, it took me a long time to find a water bottle I liked. I, I don't even know what it is. I got it on Amazon. I think it's like 32 ounces. But um, I, I have chronic migraines and not being hydrated causes me to have migraines. And let me tell you, it's not a barrel of laughs to have chronic migraines. So like saying hydrate is super important. So having a bottle that like I can have with me at all times and has gigantic amounts of water. And when I inevitably tip it over because I spill all the time, it doesn't spill is pretty magic. <laughs> like it's the little things that make a difference for me. Um, and I have experimented with water bottles. I will say having trial and trial and errored my way to this 32 ounces about right for me. I tried a gallon is it's just a little too big. <laughs> imagine like hauling around a watermelon with you all the time that's what a gallon is um so I love my water bottle it's also pink and kind of matches my hair amazing and then mine is actually and this is such a great episode to bring this up on is my blue light glasses Uh, so I serve my clients on zoom which means a lot of video interaction a lot of staring at a screen and so It's amazing because the jury is out on whether or how effective blue light glasses may actually be, right? So some people think it's a placebo effect. Some people think it actually has an impact. And I don't know what's true. However, I just believe and I trust that me investing in these glasses is actually going to support my well-being 
if not physically, at least mentally. And, and this is absolutely going to be a future episode. The placebo effect is real. Like it's measurable. <laughs> it makes an actual difference. So like, even if it doesn't clinically have an effect, if your life could be like 30% better just because of the placebo effect, that seems worth it to me. Cool. All right. We'll earmark that. Placebo effect. All right. So this has been fun. We'll do it again. Absolutely. Next week. Bye. Peace. Want to take this conversation online? We'd love to hear from you. You can follow me, Nancy, at the Nancy Sun on Instagram. I am a coach who serves creatives and I help them make the art, money, and impact they want. And you can follow me, Meg, at Meg Kirstead on Instagram. That's K-I-E-R-S-T-E-A-D. I serve multi-passionate rebels and world changers in tech who want to take care of their own bodies and brains while they do really big things. And you can find our links in the show notes. Until next time, bye.